electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Exchange. I'm Kelly Evans, and here's what's ahead. Take a look at AMC. The shares halted after surging over $60 today. They've nearly doubled this after launching a new platform exclusively for their retail investors. We'll go over the perks, the pitfalls, and who's pocketing the big bucks from these wild swings. Meanwhile, the White House says nothing is off the table in responding to the ransomware attack on meat producer JBS, which is now mostly back online. Biden will discuss it with Russian President Putin this month. We have the details, and we'll tell you who's the latest hacking target. And food disruptors, a Depop deal, and Doge gets its day on Coinbase. It's all in rapid fire. But let's start with these markets and see Modi is here with more for us. Steve Watching on. those meme trades very closely. And now President Biden also having an infrastructure talk with GOP senators in the 2 p.m. hour, Kelly. So we'll be watching that very closely. What is working in today's market? Three hours left in trade. We are off the best levels of the day, but it's energy, metals, mining, and emerging markets, I would just point out. Back to the highs hit in February of, of 2021. On track for seven consecutive days of gains for the emerging market index. The data out of China, much more encouraging. Plus, The COVID situation in India is improving, but I would add still a long road to recovery for that country. Uh, Back to energy, big moves that we are seeing in one specific name, Devon Energy, now up 17 percent just in the last two weeks. Yes, prompted by the outperformance in oil, WTI crude up about 4 percent just this week. The best performer, though, on the S&P 500 right now is Etsy Seen gains of nearly 8% following news of its acquisition of that London-based Gen Z secondhand fashion company for $1.6 billion. You'll see the stock is higher today, but still down about 26% uh, in the last three months. And I know, Kelly, you're going to talk about it on Rapid Fire today. It's just incredible. There's so many different things that are moving right now. Seema, I can barely keep up. Uh, Let's get to the biggest stock story of the day, which is AMC surging to a new all-time high. The stock was halted multiple times last hour on volatility. Shares were up about 93% at the highs. We went over 60, I think maybe even over 61. Uh, Wild. The company just announced Investor Connect. It's a new platform on its website just for retail investors. If you self-identify and sign up for AMC's loyalty program, you get perks like a free tub of popcorn and company updates. And according to Think The move is lighting up on Reddit's Wall Street bets. AMC had more than 1,600 mentions. All that said, in terms of Reddit chatter, today's top honor goes to BlackBerry with more than 2,100 mentions. All of these meme stocks have been on a tear this week. AMC more than doubling, higher 102 percent. BlackBerry up about 40 percent since Monday. Bed Bath & Beyond up 45 percent. And good old GameStop adding about 10 percent. Let's drill down specifically on AMC right now and CEO Adam Aaron. Joining me for that, Bill Cohen is a special correspondent for Vanity Fair and a CNBC contributor. And Nell Minow is vice chair of Value Edge Advisors. And she is also a movie critic serving as associate editor for RogerEbert.com. So especially qualified for this discussion, Nell. And, and welcome to you both. Bill, let me just start to, to kind of, I'm curious for your thinking here. Do you position this all as kind of the glorious rise of the retail investor versus Wall Street? Or, you know, what, what's the narrative? for you. And is AMC benefiting from all of this, preying upon these retail investors? What do you think? Well, uh, it is some 
crazy phenomenon, uh, Kelly. There's no doubt about it. I personally don't understand the meme stocks. Uh, I don't understand why retail investors would pile into these companies uh, and drive up their stock prices to levels that make uh, no sense and sort of untether them from their financial performance. However, I'm all for uh, sort of an excitement, uh, excitement in the markets. And if this is what people want to do, fabulous. Good for them. They're, you know, grownups. They can take their risks. They can benefit. They can take their lumps if they have to. Uh, AMC, I think, has been clever, uh, more clever than other meme stops by taking advantage of this situation by issuing equity, uh, mm -hmm. raising a lot of cash, which is good, and then repositioning themselves potentially to be an acquirer in the market. And I say good for them. And we talked, Canel, you know, we talked yesterday in this program with analysts about AMC and, and it being, you know, overvalued relative to the fundamentals and, and blah, 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 blah. But a lot of the retail investors are interested in these stocks in order to change the fundamentals. So look at GameStop, where they're debuting this kind of shadowy NFT website that hints at a, a more interesting future where they've made some leadership changes, some stock issuance. They're trying to, you know, shore up their debt. It's almost as if the, the public is saying it was unfair to you that this pandemic happened. And we we see that you could have a chance, you know, if, if you make some changes, maybe AMC's in the same boat. BlackBerry, if you bring a BlackBerry, you get inundated with how they are the way to play the EV revolution. And it really is fascinating to read about. So these are not just simply, hey, it'd be fun to sit back and do this. But it seems to be the public saying we want to see these companies win. No question about it. Uh, you know, this story of AMC is more like a Frank Capra movie that might play in the theater than <laughs> anything that resembles securities analysis. As Bill said, it's a fun story. It has nothing to do with fundamentals. But what is good and what is important is exactly how Adam Aaron is responding to this. He's doing exactly what you should do if the sky opens up and cash lands on your head. He is settling debt. He is improving the product. And he's situated... For a very happy summer, there are some great movies coming, and there are a lot of people who are dining it back in the theater. Bill, what do you make? I mean, people are looking at Adam Aaron's compensation and trying to figure out, you know, looking, is he the villain? Is he the hero? I mean, as Nell said, as these plot points unfold, you can see people trying to figure out what the narrative is here and still being somewhat unsure about it. The, and the fascinating thing about Adam Aaron is doing as well, he's been very effective at this. He's on Twitter. He's going directly to his investing base and saying, I'm watching you. This is a dialogue. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me why you're investing in this stock. Tell me why, you know, this army is. And, and he's really kind of taking that all in and uh, and speaking to them directly in a way that was never really possible before. Look, I think this is what uh, investors want. This is what the Reddit boards want. This is what the, the, the meme stock uh, investors want. They want this direct contact. I think it's you know, appropriate as long as the SEC is OK with it, which is, you know, something I really frankly think that they're going to have to look at more carefully. But unlike GameStop, I think, you know, the AMC management is taking advantage of this. It, it isn't great to raise equity at like nine bucks and change a share when the stock is now trading at 60. That's not so great. Okay. Uh, but, you know, how would he ever know, obviously, that this thing was going to rocket ship up today? And it's very unusual frankly, for a company to issue equity and then it stock take off like this. So the whole thing is, you know, beyond trying to figure out and beyond trying to create a narrative around, it's sort of like this fun roller coaster. It's been going on for a while in all these various meme stocks. My gut tells me it's not going to end well, but right. I give 
credit to the AMC management here because they've positioned themselves to benefit from the great movies that Nell was talking about that are going to come out and to be a consolidator and pick up other theater chains that are just aren't going to reopen or are much facing much more difficult times. So good for them. This is what they should be doing. And now to that point, when a lot of people look at this price action, it doesn't sit well with them because they actually think it's going to turn around and hurt a lot of retail investors. If it you know, goes the other way, you don't know what kind of institutional involvement there might be in something like this as well. What, how, how easy manipulated are forums and that sort of thing? It's always a live discussion in there of if anyone's infiltrated you know, from the professional investing community. So what's in your gut as for how this might treat those hordes of investors who so far might be doing quite well with it. That is how markets work. They're taking that risk. They're going to see how it plays out. But I want to put onto it the narrative that Bill asked for, and I'm going to put it in the context of engine number one at Exxon. We're going to be seeing the rise of the shareholders. There's a big demographic shift coming. And the the millennials, Gen Z, they're very interested in being hands-on as consumers, as employees, and as investors, we're going to be seeing a lot from them, and they're going to want that direct contact. And once again, I really applaud Adam Aaron for responding to an unusual circumstance Mm -hmm. in a very business-forward way. The Rise of the Shareholders is a fabulous title, and we're going to steal that <laughs> because all the best creators know, you know when, you, when you hear a good idea, you run with it. But uh, thanks to both of you guys for joining me today to talk through this. Nell Minow and Bill Cohen on these wild moves in AMC. We are less than an hour away from the Fed's Beige Book, meantime, which is being given closer attention today as investors look for clues on labor shortages, inflation, and what the Fed plans to do about it. So what does the street want to hear? Joining me now, Phil Camporiali is a portfolio manager of the Global Allocation Fund at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. And Nancy Pryle is co-CEO and senior portfolio manager at Essex Investment Management. Nancy, let me start with you. Uh, you know, what words, what phraseology, what descriptions signal to you there's going to be a problem for stocks, whether it's the Beige Book or other Fed speak that we're hearing right now? Well, I think certainly we're all worried about when the taper comes, how fast the taper will be, and will that lead to increasing interest rates that will cause um, P.E. compression that's more than what we'll be able to overcome with earnings growth. So we're going to be looking very carefully for how they couch both economic growth. Is it just moderate? Is it strong? Is it accelerating? As well as what they talk about with labor shortages and what that might lead to with wage inflation, as well as the hint of more persistent inflation that will last past this summer. Same question, uh, Phil, to you. What are your kind of main touch points here? What are the things that signal to you it's risk on versus risk off? Yeah, so risk off is obviously that tail risk of inflation, Kelly. And that is not our base case. Uh, We would side with the Fed on that, that a lot of the pressures that we're seeing right now are temporary. And you brought up the labor market. Uh, Kelly, they're making a huge bet on labor slack. You know, job openings are at 8 million, and there's still 8 million people that don't have a job from pre-COVID right now. So they're making a big bet, Kelly, that those folks are going to come back to the labor market. The labor force participation rate is about two whole percentage points below where it was pre-COVID. And come September, when, when schools hopefully open for my kids... And we have the unemployment benefits rolling off kind of nationwide. Mm-hmm. The Fed believes that labor supply is going to meet the job openings, and that should forestall wage inflation. But one thing that I, that I really uh, kind, of, kind of believe, tapering's baked in the cake. Mm-hmm. I, I think that the tapering, Kelly, is a COVID pandemic response. Mm-hmm. And all of the inflation talk is about the federal funds rate. 
it's not about tapering. We believe that by the end of this year, there will be significant progress. There okay. already is to do tapering. It's, the, the inflation talk is more around when they move their policy rate, which is still way off. Okay, so Nancy, with all that said, give me your best picks right now. Where should investors be as we sort all of this out? So we think that investors should be positioned to take advantage of the inflation that we're seeing. We want to own companies that can benefit from rising pricing that they can get, whether that be in specialty chemicals like Advantix, which is a company that spun recently out of Honeywell, new management um, focused on improving their returns, improving their balance sheet, as well as growing with a kicker of um, exposure to autos and fertilizers. We also like some of the productivity plays because if employment does not come back, if the labor force is not as slack as the Fed currently thinks, Mm -hmm. we will need productivity improvements to continue to drive economic growth. That leads us to names like Domo, which is business intelligence software. It's a name that's well off its high with the rotation that we've seen out of growth and into more value names, but it is democratizing the use of business analytics so that anybody in the company can use it. Mm. We like names that are democratizing industries. We like decentralization. And again, we like companies that can benefit from rising prices. And Verisite, I saw was in there as well. Great. Some names we don't often uh, talk about quite as much, but some great ideas. Nancy Pryle, Phil Camporiali, thanks guys to both of you as we await the Fed's beige book out at the top of next hour. We do have a news alert on Apple now. Josh Lipton is here with the story. What's happening, Josh? That's right, Kelly. So Apple is just now announcing that its App Store facilitated $643 billion in billings and sales in 2020. So that would be a jump of 24% year over year. So in other words, uh, there is a lot of money, Apple is saying, flowing through its store every year. That number would include sales. So on everything from online retailer apps like Target to food delivery apps like DoorDash. Now, Apple is also saying that about 90% of that $643 billion booked outside the store. So meaning it collected no commission, but no hard number here is offered on how much it did keep. Remember, Apple's developer conference is kicking off on Monday. Kelly, back to you. Yeah, it's like they want to show off for the developers, but not for the regulators, maybe, or for the epic trial uh, about the importance of this store. Josh, thanks. Our Josh Lipton. Coming up, Toyota unveiling a new all-electric vehicle. We'll get the details and whether the hybrid pioneer can catch up with the competition. Plus, we'll talk to the CEO of the nation's largest public fast-charging network. What will Biden's infrastructure plan mean for the industry? And later, one of America's largest employers will no longer test some workers for marijuana use. We'll dig into Amazon's reversal coming up on The Exchange. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. 
Welcome back. We're looking at shares of Toyota up about 2% today after they revealed two all-electric vehicles to finally hit the U.S. market. Phil Lebeau is down in Plano, Texas with the details and Toyota strategy, Phil, to catch up in this race. Yeah, Kelly, over the last year when you've seen so many automakers saying we have X number of models coming out, this is our plan, really haven't heard a whole lot from Toyota. Well, today the company outlining its strategy for bringing out more electrified vehicles, including this vehicle. This is the BZ4X. This is a crossover utility vehicle, all electric. That's the important part here. That is going to be coming out next year. In fact, it's scheduled to come out next spring. Why is Toyota making a concerted push to let people know that they're in the EV game? Look at the ramp up in sales that's expected for electric vehicles between now and 2025. And by the way, this is just in the United States. A lot of people would look at this and say, well, it's Tesla, it's General Motors who will benefit. Toyota won't. But the head of sales for Toyota North America says that's not the case. We're developing all kinds of new technologies that will be available in both of these vehicles. So uh, when you really have an opportunity to see and drive these, we think that this is the right vehicles at the right time. We're not ahead of consumer demand, nor are we behind. Take a look at shares of Toyota year to date. And the reason we're showing you this compared to Ford and GM, while shares of Toyota are at a 52-week high, they have lagged GM and Ford in terms of the shares moving higher this year. Why? because of that EV enthusiasm that's out there in the investor marketplace. So many people hear so much news from GM and Ford that as EV stocks have moved higher, they've benefited. Toyota, not so much. Remember, 25%, Kelly, of their sales in the United States are hybrid models. We're talking about the Prius or hybrid versions of their other models. They dominate the hybrid market worldwide and here in the United States. They believe those are the vehicles that people will continue to gravitate to before they buy an electric vehicle. Kelly, back to you. It's a fascinating bet they're making, Phil. Thank you for keeping us updated, Phil LeBeau. And that growing EV push could benefit my next guest company in a big way. EVgo already has the nation's largest network of fast charging stations and plans to more than triple its scale in the next five years as demand rises. For more, let's welcome in Kathy Zoy. She is the CEO. Kathy, it's great to have you here. We just had news today about 7-Eleven installing its own fast charging, 500 direct current fast charging ports at 250 locations. Is that a rival technology to yours? or are, are you are is that your technology it's a super large fast-growing market as you've noted i mean with all of these evs coming to market we need we need tens of thousands of chargers in the next few years so evgo is the largest as you noted public fast charging company where we own and operate our stations um seven we have some chargers at 7-elevens now but it looks as if 7-eleven is going to go and invest in their own charging infrastructure um, for those locations as well tell me what the difference would be between the growth of companies kind of DIY doing it themselves and where we should expect to see and why we would want to specifically seek out EVgo. Well, EVgo partners with some of the largest grocery sale chains, retail stations, retail locations in the country. We, we are in um, 800 locations now, rapidly expanding. Our theory is that people want to charge well they're, where they're going to be anyway. So we love being in grocery store parking lots. We are at Albertsons and Safeway and Kroger and Whole Foods and Meyer. Everywhere you're going to be anyway. So you go and you drive up, you plug in, you do your shopping, you come out and you've got your, you've got your fuel for your EV. That's a great point. And as we look through the economics of all this, as I understand it, fast charging is kind of the way that EV can really get scale. You know, it just takes a long time to charge 
the traditional way. So in terms of speed, this is kind of the way to go. In terms of cost, does it rival a traditional gasoline station fill-up? Well, our average spend on our charging for a charging session is today about $8.20. Hmm. Um, so it, it is, is actually quite... And, and what you actually get... With again, with the technology that we are putting out there now, it's about 150 miles of range in 15 minutes. So it's a great, while you're shopping, plug in, get another 150 miles of range. We have electricity everywhere. We need to put the fast charging everywhere. And as I say, that's why we just feel like going where people are going to be anyway, at a park, at a grocery store, you know, it, it, it is just the perfect mix. Um, now, people are still going to charge at home, right? If you, your overnight charging makes sense if you've got a plug in your garage. But the truth is, Kelly, only 30% of, America, 30% of Americans don't have access to at-home charging. People like me, I live in an apartment that I rent in Santa Monica, and I don't have access to a home charger, so I need to charge away from home, and I want to do it fast. That's a great point. Finally, Kathy, you, are you guys going public? SPAC? We are. Okay. We are. We are going public through a SPAC, um, and it looks like by the end of this quarter, the EVgo ticker will go live in, you know, by June 30th. Wow. We cannot wait to uh, add that to our list of EV stocks to watch. And thank you for explaining your technology and your growth plans. Kathy, appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Kathy Zoy is the CEO of EVgo. Still ahead this hour and coming up next block, in fact, we'll take a look at these markets, watch crypto. Uh, We'll talk about the cyber attack that's been disrupting the world's largest meat supplier and the government's response to it as it tries to crack down on criminals. And it's not just private businesses hurting for workers. The impact the slow recovery in state and local government jobs could have on your portfolio. That's also ahead on The Exchange. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Welcome back to The Exchange. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. A Florida man has become the second to plead guilty for his part in the January 6th insurrection on Capitol Hill. Paul Allard has pleaded guilty to one count of obstructing an official proceeding. Now, the maximum sentence is 20 years, but the judge in the case says that guidelines call for a sentence of 15 to 21 months. In Texas, a rescuer descending from a helicopter here to save a stranded driver His car got stuck in one of the many recent flash floods across the state. That man was then lifted to safety using a harness. And back to Florida now, a 14-year-old girl is fighting for her life after being shot in a shootout with county deputies. The girl and a 12-year-old boy escaped apparently from a juvenile group home and then broke into someone's house. They allegedly took a rifle and a shotgun and fired on officers who returned fire. Tonight on the news, the latest on the teen's condition and why deputies are blaming the juvenile justice system for failing to manage the teens. And the Boston Celtics are shaking up their front office. This after losing to the New York Nets in the first round of the playoffs. President of basketball operations Danny Ainge is retiring and coach Brad Stevens will take his place. Wow. Kelly, you're now up to date. I'll send it back to you. What a career Brad Stevens has had. Uh, interesting, Rahel. Thank you. The world's largest meat supplier is mostly back online after it was a victim of a major cyber attack reportedly carried out by a Russian-backed criminal group. Eamon Javers is here with the very latest. What do we know, Eamon? 
Kelly, we know that just a short time ago over at the White House, the press secretary, Jen Psaki, was asked about the prospect of U.S. retaliation against Russian cyber targets. Here's how she handled the question. We're not taking any options off the table in terms of how we may respond. But, of course, there's an internal policy review process to consider that. Uh, We're in direct uh, touch with the Russians as well uh, to convey uh, our concerns uh, about these reports. So Saki there leaving the prospect of retaliation on the table. Meanwhile, at JBS, the meatpacking company, they say uh, that JBS USA and Pilgrims were able to ship to nearly all facilities yesterday. They say they're resuming plant operations now in the U.S. and Australia and resuming production at a beef facility in Canada. All of this being done, we are told by a source, by an entity called R-Evil. That's a cyber hacking collective uh, connected to the Russians. R-Evil uh, was the one that hacked the Apple supplier Quanta computer earlier this year. They demanded a $50 million ransom in that case. They are native Russian speakers. They likely are located in a former Soviet state, and they post their stolen documents on a dark website called the Happy Blog. Uh, so that's the, sort of their dark sense of humor. And they've made, according to Cyber Reason, a cybersecurity firm, they've made more than $100 million from ransomware attacks in 2020. That is a lot of money, and it shows you the scale, the sort of the industrial size scale of some of these hacking operations, which are as large as some Silicon Valley startup companies, Kelly. It's amazing how far this has gotten. Yeah, and $100 million in revenue is incredible. I have so many more questions about how to hold them accountable and how much it's holding Russia accountable and and all the rest of it. But I also want people to know there's been yet another major cyber attack today, a ransomware attack, I believe, on a ferry service in Massachusetts. Now, that might seem small, but quite obviously, as everybody gets back out to travel after this pandemic, I mean, what a cheap shot. Yeah. Look, I mean, this is the summer travel season, right? And this is the ferry that goes from Woods Hole to Martha's Vineyard in Nantucket. A lot of summer tourists, but also a lot of people's lives and livelihoods at stake with that ferry service as well. Uh, The ferry service uh, tells us that they're they're right in the middle of this hack right now and responding to it. They're trying to do as much as they can manually. So we don't have a lot of details yet as to how this is all going to play out and whether there are going to be delays or cancellations. Uh, But if you're going to Martha's Vineyard or Nantucket anytime soon or trying to get home from any of those places, uh, you might want to check Check in with the ferry provider before you go down there and sit in that line, because uh, there could be some significant disruptions here. They say they're dealing with it right now, and they'll get us more information later on today. All right. It's cruel. Eamon, thanks. Eamon Javers covering it all for us. And be sure to tune into The Edge with Scott Wapner today. They're going to dig further into these cyber attacks at 6 p.m. Eastern tonight. You don't want to miss it. Coming up, disruptors in aisle six. Amazon backs cannabis legalization. Resale is red hot. And Coinbase gives Doge its day. It's all in rapid fire right after this. Welcome back. So much to catch up you uh, catch you up on today. Let's uh, let's start with a few stories that should be on your radar right now. And we're still watching shares of AMC. I mean, this thing was over seventy bucks a few minutes ago. Anyway, joining me to break down all of these headlines, Dear Jabosa, Mike Santoli, and Courtney Reagan are all in the house. Welcome to all of you. Let's start with actually this interesting note out from HSBC. They're talking about how tech is ready to shake up the grocery store, saying food shopping will never be the same. Grocery stores, they say, are the last major frontier of e-commerce yet to be cracked with new technologies and online ordering, in-store experiences, the checkout line, ESG could even change the experience. And they're naming Uber, Walmart and Amazon, Courtney, as companies that could benefit. What do you say? 
You know, Kelly, it's so funny that grocery seems to not have changed very much in the last several decades, even with the innovations of partnerships like Instacart and sort of the um, the buy online, pick up and store offers that you get from a Walmart, from a Target. But we all know that those grocery margins are just razor, razor thin, and it's really hard uh, to get people to want to pay for delivery of grocery. I mean, I will use the example of myself. I saw Instacart was running a special. I'm not a member. And so I built this whole grocery cart. And then at the very end, it, it had me paying a fee of, I don't know, $5.99. Mm. And I thought, no, I'm not doing it. I'm mm. walking to the store. So I know technology can take us there, but you have to get people to want to use it. And I know, obviously, in the pandemic, many people did out of necessity. But we've seen some of these numbers sort of go back to where they were before as old habits come back out and people's, people pick out their own avocados. Right, right. It's a little more reliable sometimes, depending. On, I'm not that good at it. Deirdre, what do you say? <laughs> I was kind of blown away. I looked through this report and I saw, as Courtney just alluded to, Instacart was mentioned once. They think that Uber could be a bigger player than Instacart. Granted, we have not seen Instacart's financials, but we do know that it has higher margin businesses behind it, like advertising, like enterprise. It actually builds the websites for a lot of grocers. When Amazon arrived on the scene with its Whole Foods acquisition, which you know, the jury is still out whether or not Amazon can really crack the grocery industry in a significant way. But I think that we are seeing tons of evidence that Instacart is. With regards to what Courtney was saying, with habits, I've gone the other way. I've had to actually shop for my groceries during the pandemic. I can't wait to order them again. And I will pay $5.99 or whatever they want me to pay, really. <laughs> what do you mean you had? Why did you have to go into the store? <laughs> Well, I'm in an area where I'm actually, if you can believe it, not covered by grocery delivery. So I, I have see. been trucking to the store with gloves and masks throughout the whole pandemic. And Mike, I was <laughs> thinking about that because, you know, of the lack of Uber drivers. Is, as delivery becomes more popular, it's obviously going to demand more workers. It just comes at a time when those workers happen to be in a specially short supply. Yeah, without a doubt. And in fact, if this is the one major untapped area for uh, you know, e-shopping or uh, online commerce, it shows you that they're at the hard part. I mean, it's it's not really low-hanging fruit. Obviously, I, I'm on board with the idea. People are in the habit more than they ever were before of doing it online, of kind of outsourcing that function. But it doesn't necessarily mean some kind of profit bonanza, either because you have yes. to get the labor or because you have to have the, the, all the logistics and, and Everything it's else so true. It. It's one of those things that is a consumer you love as everybody just keeps, you know, going belly up, trying to figure it out. You just bounce from one to the next to the next. Maybe someone will. Speaking, speaking kind of with this theme, Amazon just announced it's no longer testing and disqualifying some employees for marijuana use. The company is also saying it supports a federal legalization of marijuana. And according to data from Quest Diagnostics, the seven million drug tests run by all employers last year, 2.7 percent came back positive for marijuana use. It's only slightly higher than in 2019. Amazon also announcing its much-anticipated Prime Day will return on June 21st through 22nd. Amazon shares court are still down slightly on the year. So I guess sticking with the, the theme of shortages here, is that what's driving the relaxation of this marijuana policy? I was just thinking, as soon as I read that blog post, that has to be it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, why else would they be relaxing it? They're saying it's not the case if it's a job that's governed by the Department of Transportation, so they're delivery drivers, and that they're going to treat it as they would alcohol use. So they certainly don't want any of their employees, regardless of function, being impaired. But it just 
seems to me that it has to be lowering the barrier to potentially get more and more employees, especially in the areas where they need them. And we know that Amazon, when they do these hiring blitzes, hires thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of employees during the holidays. And just where are they going to find them this holiday season? As you just were talking about, Kelly, it's really hard to find the Uber drivers, Um, you know, when it's really on demand work. And, you know, the rules, I guess, are considerably less. I mean, we've heard a lot about an Amazon warehouse and obviously the company runs by efficiency, right? So you're going to have a lot of rules governing those workers. And if you want a flexible schedule, I'm not sure that the Amazon warehouse is for you. But hey, if you're interested in a smoking marijuana, if it's legal, I guess then maybe you could apply now. (laughs) Deirdre, what would you add? Okay, I, I, I have a different take. I think that what we are seeing is a new Amazon right before Andy Jassy takes over for Bezos. And I haven't heard of them having any issues even fulfilling the massive numbers of employees that they have been able to hire over the last year. It was asked on the last quarterly earnings call. And they didn't say anything about shortages because they have a higher minimum wage. They've been increasing benefits for workers. And that's the key here is that Amazon's labor practices are coming under greater scrutiny. So I think this is an example. Um, The performance metrics, the marijuana usage is an indication that Amazon is no longer just a customer obsessed company, but it's also a people powered company, Hmm. as Bezos outlined in its last Hmm. annual letter. So I think this is a play to show that they're more friendly to their warehouse workers. Well, and it seems to be working because as we spoke to the Harlem restaurateur last week, who said some of those workers have dropped out of the retail or restaurant industry and gone to work for places like Amazon. Uh, So speaking to your point, they seem to be able to retain them as well, even as we reopen. All right, let's talk about Etsy announcing the purchase of secondhand fashion app Depop today for $1.6 billion. It's a resale app popular with Gen Z and has over 30 million users in 150 countries. Here's what the CEO of Etsy, Josh Silverman, had to say about this on Squawk Box. Depop is the choice of Gen Z. Depop's been growing like crazy. It grew over 100% last year. And importantly, it's growing with hardly any marketing spend. So this is really an organic, authentic phenomenon that's loved by Gen Z. We think it's a perfect fit for Etsy. And this is why you should watch Rapid Fire, people, because Mike Santoli told us that this was coming. It's been on his daughter's (laughs) radar. He said Poshmark is so over, so millennial, Mike. Uh, Tell me about, like, the sustainability here, because fashion is so fickle. So over in the sense of for for younger people. I think there's there's still a thriving world where, you know, millennials are still going to shop online for secondhand stuff. Yes. So my daughter's very much power users of Depop. These packages are constantly coming into our home. It's low ticket. Uh, it, it's very much um, in tune with this vintage fashion movement. So I think it's very much of a, of a time and a place where people want to connect with other individuals who have cultivated a little bit of a brand as sellers for the style they have, for the way they curate what they own. Uh, and also there's a culture of kind of putting a little gift inside the package. Hmm. I mean, I mean, I think they play up the social aspect of it. But yes, my household is uh, is very much power users. Uh, of Depop, and they were kind of scrunching their nose at Poshmark, not really sure why you'd want to buy somebody's Nike. So now it's owned by Etsy, Courtney, which is fascinating. Um, I, I, now I'm going to have to order right. from something from it just to kind of, exp- I want to see what kind of gift I get. Uh, but, but what do you think it's going to do as part of the Etsy empire? 
I mean, that's the part that I think is very interesting, Kelly, because so far Josh Silverman has basically said we want them to exist as they are. They're still going to remain headquartered where they're headquartered. Their management is still going to continue to do its thing. And so I'm very curious about how this is going to overlap with Etsy. It does sound like it's very popular from what Mike Santoli is saying. I have to admit, I am much less familiar with this platform than Poshmark or ThreadUp or RealReal or TradeZ or any of those other ones. And so it sounds like it probably is a good purchase from Etsy's point of view from financially, but I'm not exactly sure how the platform is going to overlap. I have bought from Etsy before, um, say like it was a a vintage mirror. I mean, that's not clothing, but that was sort of a, a vintage purchase that I bought from Etsy that wasn't necessarily handmade. So perhaps they want to expand their platform, um, you know, so getting the message out that it's more than just arts and crafts. And by yeah. the way, when Mike Santoli said that it's about vintage on Depop, um, I looked at it earlier today yeah. and one of the categories <laughs> is like Y2K, yeah. which makes me feel very old exactly. and think that maybe I should move to Depop to sell my stuff instead of Poshmark. Exactly. We're all going to get with the program. Deirdre, to mention, Etsy shares are up 7.5% today. I mean, investors seem to really like wherever they want to take this platform, that it simply exposes them to this next up-and-coming customer base. Yeah, and I think key is that Etsy has been a strong pandemic play in terms of the stock price. So they need to prove that they can do more, that they can outlast the pandemic. And bringing in a new generation, Gen Z, onto the platform seems like a really good way to do so. And investors appreciating that. But I was wondering, Mike, any idea what brands do they sell on Depop? What What's cool now among Gen Z? I, I have no idea. What know- would you go there and shop for? <laughs> It's honestly, it's, uh, it looks like, you know, cast offs from somebody's closet. It really does. I mean, Courtney, you say Y2K, but really it's 90s. It looks like my closet. It's, it's yeah. like bell-bottom jeans. It's a little bit of, like, bulky sweaters and maybe even some grunge type stuff. I don't think that's necessarily everybody, but I know that's one of the kind of bohemian type uh, styles that are uh, that are absolutely If anybody saw the, the SNL skit about Gen Z, I'm looking at the homepage, yeah. and it's like, this is like a screen grab. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, and... And by yes. the way, my daughter and, said that know, she's trying your- to cut down on how much she buys, so she's doing a favor to friends to kind of scroll for them <laughs> so she can maybe curate for, for their purposes. All right, tell her, That's pick it something else. I was service. watching the uh, Friends... I was watching the Friends reunion, and uh, my husband says, oh, my gosh, like, I understand why you like this show. This kind of looks like your wardrobe. So maybe uh, I need to move on and get rid of some of that stuff on this Depop platform. We're all going to have Mike's daughter deck us out. Tomorrow, tune in to Power Lunch at 2.30 p.m. because Rent the Runway CEO Jennifer Hyman will uh, will, uh, join us to discuss the growing resale marketplace uh, as all of this becomes more and more popular. Before we go, we want to mention Dogecoin is also surging today. Coin base announcing traders on their pro platform can trade the meme coin starting at noon tomorrow. And we're talking about about a 20% gain in Doge today, 20.5%. It's back to trending on Twitter with the hashtag Dogecoin to a dollar. Coinbase, Deirdre, still slumping after its much-hyped uh, IPO. The stock is down 19% in the past month. It's down another half percent today. So not benefiting too much from this. And, and some users of Coinbase are upset that the pro uh, clients get access to this first. Right. It actually took Coinbase a little bit longer to roll out Dogecoin trading. And that's sort of the appeal of Coinbase, too, at least among investors, is that it takes its time. It's sort of the institution of the crypto world. Kelly, I was just wondering if Dogecoin would still be a thing by the time they got it up and running. And yes, it is. We just showed 39 cents. The hodlers are hodling 
And this morning on Tech Check, an analyst put it, it's the hodlers versus the tourists. So those that are in it for the long run versus the tourists that are in it to get a quick buck. And uh, we'll see where it goes. Wow, Segments like this. Today. I mean, Mike, if you were watching at home, you'd be like throwing the turn, click. You'd be throwing the remote across the room. Like, what is this world? What are people even talking about? What's a hodler? What's a doge? Yeah. 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 Uh, no, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this, these uh, these terms only uh, have, you know, three years worth of history to them or something like that. What I find fascinating with Coinbase is, yes, it's the institutional version. What were the listing standards? What was the process of figuring out True. whether, in fact, Doge qualified for a listing? Because it's Great essentially point. the anti-network. It's, the, it, it's sort of against everything that big picture-wise is promised uh, in terms of the, uh, the, the kind of tech endorsements of, uh, of Bitcoin and the like. And as we've seen in, the, in kind of whether the SNL appearance or Doge Day they tried to have, usually it's a time to sell the news kind of thing, despite its run-up today. Dear Jabosa, Mike Santoli and Courtney Reagan, thank you all very much. And Mike's daughter sort of made a, 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 an informal, when she gets home from school today, she's, she's going to be blown away. I'll send her the clip. Exactly. Yeah. We all up. need some help. We yeah. all need some help from Help Lane. us out. This stock is trading at a three-year high as a big-name activist reveals a stake in the company. We're going to tell you the name and the firm right after this. And as we head to break, June is Pride Month. All month long, we're spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and anchors and producers. Here's CNBC's Shepard Smith. I think to celebrate, you have to first be thankful. You have to be thankful for those people who came out when it was difficult and potentially injurious, and it could be a hazard to their health. And they did it for years and years so that all of us can live authentically. And I'm so thankful for every single person who did that. Welcome back to The Exchange. Pretty calm day in the markets. The Dow eking out a small gain while the S&P is slightly negative and the Nasdaq is down 36 points. But the big movers, as we've been talking about all day, are the meme stocks. Let's get a check on AMC, which is up right now about 87 percent. It's at $60 a share. It spiked over 70 earlier this hour. Bed Bath & Beyond is also higher, though, by 40 percent. Koss is up 23 percent and BlackBerry is up 19 percent. And Dropbox was the mystery chart we showed you before the break. Shares are on pace for their best day since January after the Wall Street Journal reported Elliott Management now owns a more than 10 percent stake in the company. It makes it the second largest shareholder after CEO Drew Houston. The stock is trading at its highest level in nearly three years. It's up 4 percent to almost $28. And shares of Moderna are hitting an all-time high after the company agreed to partner with Thermo Fisher for manufacturing and packaging its COVID-19 vaccine. As it looks to scale up production, Moderna shares are adding 2%. After this, the road to recovery for state and local government jobs is taking longer than expected. What that lag means for muni bonds and what can be done to speed things up. Welcome back. The worker shortage has dominated the reopening conversation, but one aspect that's flown under the radar are public sector jobs. Before the pandemic, state and local governments employed 20 million people. That's nearly 13 percent of the whole labor market. Jobs in that sector are still more than a million below their pre-pandemic levels. And if the financial crisis is any indication, it could take years to recover. Joining us now is Tom Koslick. He's head of credit uh, strategy at Hilltop Securities. So, Tom, tell me whether you think this jobs hole, if you want to call it that, is going to be a headwind for muni investors. Thanks for having me on, Kelly. Uh, I appreciate it. And uh, this, as you mentioned, uh, state and local government jobs are still 1.2 million below where they were a little over a year ago before the pre-pandemic peak. That being said, I think that the Rescue Plan Act funds, the $350 billion for state and local governments, the uh, $130 billion for uh, schools and 
some other money that's going to be flowing to public finance entities. I think that the rescue plan money is really going to help uh, bridge that revenue gap. Unlike, uh, as you mentioned, what we like what we saw uh, just after the Great Recession. So do you think that these jobs will be filled very quickly and that will kind of forestall any issues here? I mean, what are what are investors concerns that, you know, I'm just curious, you know, what kind of headwinds they think this creates? Yeah, so I think you know we we have started to see a, a return. The, the at the worst, uh, state and local government jobs were 1.3 million uh, down. Uh, they have been positive over the last. They were positive over the last month. I expect them to continue to be positive, but I don't expect them to really charge back until the end of the summer or the fall. And the reason for that is because a lot of those jobs that were lost going back to last year were education related. And so I don't think that uh, until the schools start to ramp up, we're going to start seeing those state and local government jobs uh, increase. Yeah, if anything, I've heard less lately about the need for you know state and local government help and support. And I, I wonder why that is. Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that is happening you know, literally as we speak is that state and local governments are reviewing how much money it is that they received, and they're putting, they're either putting, continuing to put together or finalize plans of how it is that they can spend that money uh, over not you know not just for this budget cycle, for but in for for future budget cycles as well. All right, so Tom, just broadly speaking, tell me where you think investors should be placing their bets in the muni market right now. So what we've done over the last uh, month or so is we've raised our sector outlooks to stable on almost every sector: state, government, schools. I think that credit, you know, this uh, there's this Rescue Plan Act money has really uh, provided a substantial boost to overall credit. And so I think that uh, there are you know, several sectors that have uh, that are going to be the beneficiaries of that. As such as like, where exactly should people be looking? I think that, uh, you know, not only on the geo side, but I think that on the on the revenue bond side, um, there are sectors like, you know, airports really uh, not only took a hit, um, but the kind of the reputation of airports is really uncertain. Uh, I think that transportation uh, and I think that's really changed. I think, you know, even over this past weekend, we saw there are a lot of people traveling. And I think that the travel boom or you know, tra- it's not just going to be a travel rebound. It's going to be a travel boom. I think that's going to help airports. I think that's also going to help other uh, revenue sectors like uh, transportation. And is infrastructure money potentially going into state and local governments as well, or is that going to be funneled elsewhere, do you think? No, that's one of the things that we're still waiting to hear. Uh, there's an important meeting that is uh, going to be happening this afternoon at the White House, from what we understand. And I think that there is absolutely the potential for whether or not there is something that happens on a bipartisan basis or even something that happens through budget reconciliation. There's absolutely uh, going to be a substantial uh, substantial impact Hmm. from uh, state and local governments from something that happens on infrastructure. Yeah, certainly. I can see why that changes your view. Tom, thanks for being here. Tom Koslick from Hilltop. We appreciate it. And that does it for The Exchange today. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. 
See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.